The Perfect Ten. With Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time Radio Award winner. Welcome to The Perfect Ten and our first episode of 2024. We're jumping straight out of the blocks with Glenn Micro-Hall. I feel really honoured to call Micro a mate and I've covered a lot of his surfing career in my role with MBN TV and he was coming through at the same time as Matt Wilkinson and also Adrian Ace Bucken. So it was fantastic sharing their stories and also Rebecca Woods and Amy Donahoe who were both top five on the women's tour around the same time. Micro, what a story, just to make the world tour. That's been well documented. We discussed that in this episode. Also where he falls off tour and fights his way back on in 2015. And nowadays, of course, he's the super coach. He started with Matty Wilkinson when he was still on tour in 2015. He steered Tyler Wright to two world titles, also coached Owen Wright, and these days, Molly Picklam. Off to the Olympic Games this year and top five in the world in 2023. Lakey Peterson, the star Californian, also part of the Micro Stable, also part of the team, Rio Waida. Also, Caleb Tankred from Avoca is back in business and Micro is tipping he could do some amazing things in 2024. Coming up, Micro talks about Owen Wright, his incredible run at Snapper in 2017. He also talks about the greatest of all time, Kelly Slater, three-time world champion Mick Fanning, as well as one of our heroes, world champion in 1983 and 84, the great Tommy Carroll. We also talk about the future of surfing and where Micro feels like it's heading in the next couple of years and beyond. I think you'll love the episode. It was a real privilege to spend some time with Micro. We're on his back deck You'll hear a symphony of cicadas, birds chirping, dogs barking, blower vacs going off, but the show goes on and we'll get to Micro in just a few moments. The podcast brought to you by Robson Civil Projects, career opportunities galore in 2024. What I really love about Robson's, they're a business that's been around for over 60 years. Their values are all about prioritizing ethical behavior, safety, and robust working relationships. Robson Civil Projects are passionate about growth, so tailoring a career to suit you. That includes on-the-job experience, comprehensive training, and educational support for your journey. Check out the careers page at robsoncivilprojects.com.au and congratulations to the new GM, Chris Janetsky, who's been with the business since 2012 and has climbed his way to the top. We'll talk to him soon about his vision for Robson Civil Projects and also the goals for 2024. Right now, let's get to Glenn Micro-Hall. I tell you, he's got some skill as a barista. He's already made me a beautiful oat flat white. Let's get down to business. Glenn Micro-Hall, former professional surfer and now super coach on the World Tour. Welcome to The Perfect Ten. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, we couldn't choose a better location to do this podcast. Great to see you face-to-face. We're on your back deck and it's just tranquil here in Avoca. Yeah, we're pretty lucky to be where we are. It's... um. A beautiful little part of, of ochre and it's quiet. It's like a little retreat when you go to the beach and you're kind of in the in the scene all day long. I love retreating back to this deck. Yeah, little creek running through down the bottom. You've got a slippery dip for the kids. And uh, on the subject of the kids, uh, three? Yeah, three kids and they're all surf mad, which is good and I love it. One of them going to high school this year? Yeah, that's terrifying, but it's happening. <laughs> yeah, sure is. Time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's scary how quick it goes with the kids. You've got 50 boards uh, scattered around the home. Yeah, no, it's obviously over over a lifetime of surfing. You acquire a lot of surf crafts of all different shapes and sizes and some are hard to let go of and some are the kids and, and some are just like, you know, and I, I ride them throughout the year at some point, but it's, yeah, there's boards everywhere. Uh, what about your son? Uh, <laughs> I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? No, he's a little nugget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's funny how everyone, everyone says the same thing. He's basically just a little me. Yeah, we've just done like a tour of your house and it's just beautiful here. Uh, what are the prized possessions in terms of memorabilia? I'm probably not real good like that. I don't keep a lot of stuff that, I don't know, it's, uh, maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's being humble. I don't know, it's just, I don't like putting it up around the house. And But um, I've got a little a box of jerseys that I've kept from my years on tour because I know they won't be coming back again if I won't get another <laughs> one of those. But um. Yeah, there's a few trophies, a few photos, but it's um the kids think they're pretty cool every now and then, but it's funny, it's like all parents say, the kids kind of don't really look at you like anyone else but just a, a dorky old dad, so 
Um, my little boy though, sometimes he looks at it and has a little moment of like, wow, he actually did get barreled. So yeah, yeah but it's it's not very often. There's a shot of you at Chopu in a perfect barrel. How old are you there? And what a photo! Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool one. That's probably the best thing I've got only because it's from when I was maybe I don't know maybe 19 in the trials at Chopes, and it was actually my pops at Brentwood Village up on his wall when it, before he passed away. So that's kind of at least that feels like it was. At a better place than his for a while, so he thought it was pretty cool. It was me standing there in my long boardies and big, big jersey that was too big for me, and yeah, just a perfect wave. So that was pretty cool to think of, you know, that's where they run the events now, and that's where the Olympics is going to be. And yeah, back in the day, I got to surf the place in, in a jersey and surf some heats. Yeah, can't wait to talk about the Olympics and Molly Picklam from the Central Coast. What a monumental opportunity! and yeah, she's going to be one of the favourites, but we'll talk about that a little later on. Normally, I like to start with a bit of a backstory, but let's just talk about what you've been doing early this year. And you've had a whole bunch of surfers uh, fine-tuning at Evoca. Yeah, just had a camp here with um, with Rio Wader from Indonesia and Molly Picklam. They kind of basically did a week of intense training, kind of focused on heat surfing and just competitive skills, like the skills that you need to to step up into in every moment in a heat and um yeah so we did a week of that which is really fun and then on the back of that just having those guys in the community like obviously molly lives here but having rio here and having a bit of a, a, a training camp i tried to connect the community to that and, and put on a, a surf day and then a night at the surf club where they got to do a q a and play a couple of movies and just kind of immerse them in the in the community that we have here what does Molly mean to this local surf community and, and the wider community as well? Like, this is a young lady that's off to the Olympics and sponsored by Red Bull. For sure, yeah. Like, Molly's obviously an, an amazing person and an incredible surfer, but I don't think she even really understands the power that she has to, to positively influence these young kids in this community and, and obviously not just surfers, but just seeing a, a young woman like her representing the country in the Olympics and, and just doing amazing things and stepping up and having a Q&A and talking really well and kind of just carrying herself in a respectful way of, of not being afraid to go and have a go at something. I think that's what's most inspiring to the to the young kids around here. We could keep discussing Molly at the moment, but let's uh, let's go back to where it all began for you. And, you know, so you love a whole bunch of sports as a little guy growing up on the peninsula here on the Central Coast, your daughter just said it a moment ago. She rattled off about 15 sports and <laughs> sounds like you were similar. Yeah, for sure. I um, I probably should have said that before when you asked me about the memorabilia I've got. I, I threw out a bunch of surf trophies, but I kept my tennis trophies. They were, they were <laughs> my most proud, proud moments in my little sporting career when I was a kid. I, I love tennis and I love golf and I love soccer and they were probably my, my main sports and then... I guess it's like every kid at some point you got to drop them off and um, I really enjoyed soccer because it was a team sport and I got to hang out with my mates and run around and um, oh, I don't know how good I was at all but I, I really enjoyed it and then that was first to go and then golf I've always played and I was never doing tournaments or whatever I was just doing the local it came down to tennis and surfing for me that you know another last two sports I was hanging on to and my mum and dad say that they sat me down and was like because of the tennis tournaments and the surf comps <laughs> clashed on the weekends and they said all right you kind of got to choose one or the other now because each weekend there's a surf comp or a tennis comp that you you can't do both and yeah I obviously chose surfing but um they remember they they tell me that they were like hoping that I'd choose surfing because I didn't want to go to all the tennis courts around the world because I was so hot and sweaty and they love the beach so yeah it was kind of Tennis was probably my main passion when I was young. I think I just really loved competing. I think it, when I look back now, I didn't know that at the time, but I just every every sport I did and every everything I did, I loved the challenge of of um, the battle of competing in whatever it was. And and tennis was probably that because you got to like you know, and it wasn't just short, quick kind of game. It was like a long a long game against someone else that you had to figure out. And I still love playing today for the same reason. Yeah, I still remember the first time that I surfed. And it was in Byron Bay and I was on a foamy and it must have been mid-70s and the feeling was exhilarating. What about for you? Yeah, for sure. I, I was hooked on surfing from a very young age. I actually bodyboarded a lot and um, up until I was maybe, I don't know, 10 because I grew up in Yamina where everyone was a bodyboarder and back then it was like bodyboarding was the thing and 
I really enjoyed it. It was like it's still a way to, to read the ocean and read waves and figure out which ones I'm going to barrel because on a bodyboard, that's kind of all you want to do is get barreled. And, and um, and then, yeah, as I kind of got onto a, a surfboard, I just I just loved the challenge. It was like, you know, in the endless endless learning and you kind of, at that age, you probably learn pretty quick because you're going straight in the whitewash, then you're going across and then you do your first little top turn, first little cutback. And it was just like, and you're constantly feeling reward of, of your efforts of being out there and... Yeah, I just I just love surfing. So and then my parents would drop me off before school, after school every day, and in, in primary school, and I just, I just loved it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, looking at your style as a, a senior athlete, you're so fast, and I dare say, as a grommy, you're probably weighing twenty five to thirty kilos, <laughs> and you would have been blistering on waves. Now you got an opportunity that very few people do. You went to the AIS in Canberra. Yeah, no, I've got to, over the years, experience a lot of different um, opportunities of, of learning and being a, a part of other sports, and that's probably something I've, I've really appreciated over the years, of just being in, involved in organisations and, and other sports where you get to really learn from them and, and just kind of, yeah, as a surfer, being a competitive athlete, you just, you're the same as everyone else, just trying to find ways to improve and figure it out how to how to be a a good human, a good athlete, and, and find ways to be better. And that's it was cool to be around, like, the AIS and then other other programs where you get to learn from. Who was there when you were there? In the AIS? Yeah, I actually can't remember. It was so long ago that when I was going, but it was, um, yeah, we were in a program through the Institute of Sport, and then we got to go down there and be a part of a bunch of different programs. But it was just, it was all really new to surfing then, so it was like... Yeah, I was, I was like a deer in the headlights when you're kind of in those bigger organisations because there's so much going on. But even that was just inspiring because you can see what other sports are doing and how professionally they're taking it. So it was really cool. It'd be interesting to see what they were doing at the AIS when you were there compared to what they do at the High Performance Centre now at Cash Arena. For sure. I think, like, you know, pull back view of it is probably what they, you know, and if, if you could plonk the HPC in there now, it's probably what they would have been doing. But we were like the the new sport that just got an invite to come and be a part of it for a little bit and there was no structure there was no setup there was a couple of coaches that get in the beach with the video camera and now there's like the high performance centre up in Casuarina which has got you know skate ramps and gyms and all kinds of opportunities for surfers to learn so it's yeah that's how fast the sport's evolved so it's pretty cool. Yeah so you're born in 81 we just took a photo here of you with an MR trophy but you missed the MR period where he wins four world titles you know, you're a young guy when Tommy Carroll's doing his best work and Tom Curran, like the incredible American. But you're probably old enough to remember Martin Potter when he changes surfing as we know it, when he starts doing these incredible aerials. For sure, yeah. It's definitely, um, I remember meeting Tom Carroll when I was really young down in, at Newport. Um, when I went to the Quicksilver shop and he just happened to be there and it was the best thing ever. And, and then there was an event here with, um, I can't remember what it was called, it was a really big event back when surf events were huge and heaps of people came. And I actually remember coming from the Gosford tennis courts and I played in the morning and I wanted to go watch this event. And we pulled up the lights at East Gosford and Kelly Slater and Tom Carroll were in the car next to me at the lights. And I just remember, that was honestly, it sounds really weird, but I feel like that was my moment of going, I want to surf. Like, I just, I don't know why, but I just feel like it was like, I must have lost the game or something. I've not enjoyed it or something rather. But I remember feeling like, all right, like I just need to get the ocean. I just, everything I did, I wanted to go back to the beach. So that was probably my like little moment in life where I was like, I think the ocean's more me. I love watching Tommy Carroll surf. Uh, just so good, like a pocket rocket, like a dynamo, wasn't he? Short in stature, but huge on courage, and did some of his finest work at Pipeline. For sure, yeah. So, like, guys like, yeah, Tom Carroll was, like, super inspiring to me and obviously been doing it for the little fellas. It was pretty cool. And watching him at Pipeline and, and just his his courage, like you said, was incredible. And then, yeah, like, Martin Potter doing, changing the sport like he did with um with his aerial surfing and then Sanger from here. That was before my time. But you just kind of got to learn that over, over the years of being around the sport. And it was there were so many guys that did amazing things and it was... All those people that you you realise that uh, you realise now when you look back how inspiring that was, and at the time you just got all like fired up and psyched to see someone or hear someone did a floater or an air or whatever. But you do realise how how impactful that is as a young kid. You got a trophy here from your minor board riders where you win the national board riding challenge. 
who led the charge from the Central Coast back in those days? Yeah, that trophy. I did, I definitely didn't win it. It was a team. <laughs> it was a team trophy and a team win. But um, yeah, I did, Drew Courtney was in the team and Darren Stapleton from your minor and um. I can't remember if Dave Nelson was in the team, but it was it was epic. And then Dwayne Artist, and yeah, there was there was a bunch of just your minor legends that were in there, and it was it was really cool to like. I think when you look back and realize your minor have won a national event, it's it's unbelievable. Like uh, obviously, the board riders battle is a, is a bigger thing now, but I mean, your minor won the best club in Australia, which is unbelievable to think of. It's a small little beach with a small. Small community of surfers and a small board riders club, so it's yeah, it's it's absolutely unbelievable when you think about it, and I'm pretty proud to be a part of that team. Yeah, and since then we've seen Avoca, of course, flying the flag, and more recently North Shelley has become a juggernaut, and that's the club that Molly's in. Yeah, Shelley and Avoca, and yeah, all the clubs on the coast are unbelievable. Like Shelley's obviously their whole structure and their their setup as a club is unbelievable. They're they're amazing. They've got an amazing committee and a, and a Huge amount of juniors involved, and and then obviously you've got your Holmesies and Russ Maloney's and Molly, and this, and then like the Vaughns going through. There's like a list a mile long of like of every age bracket to inspire the crew around them, and and their junior um, numbers is is a testament to that. It's it's amazing, and then Avoca are doing amazing as well. Like they've won the Boardwriters Battle as well, and it's it's I feel like there's probably an underappreciation for how motivating and, and inspiring that is for surfers on the coast and that's obviously you know we've just said two clubs here but there's a club at every most beaches on the coast and, and all up and down the the whole east coast which is it's a it's a big part of of surfing culture yeah it's become such a great tv event as well and when you talk about north shelley we forget macy callahan also part of that club and i love the way that she surfs hey micro it's well documented you reached the uh, world tour at the tender age of 31. Like, I've said it on this podcast with guests before, but, you know, they really could make a Hollywood movie about your story. And and then what happens four rounds in, in uh, restaurants in Fiji. Like, you know, what a moment. You finally reach the tour and then you just have this unbelievable accident. Yeah, that was pretty, um, yeah, like obviously that's that's the... The downside and the disappointing story of um of making the tour and only getting four events and then you you have a, a career ending injury pretty much but it's also on the 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 positive side of it is like I got to travel the world and do the QS forever and I made it which is which is pretty cool in the end but just the amount of like experiences and learnings I had a, along the way and um and then when I made the tour it was awesome the amount of support I had I was obviously not young so. I'd I'd been ba- been on the door for a while and and um I had all the best support in my family and yeah then when I did make it it was it was awesome but then when I did you know four events in I had the injury it was like I don't know I I never felt like it was like that rock bottom end of the world type moment I don't know why I just, you know I've, I've had a friend who's had a, a severe surfing injury so that was in the front of my mind that like I can walk I'm I'm fine like whether I can surf. An event again at all, or whether I can surf at all, I'm I'm alright. Like it's it's not too bad. And I I came back. I worked really hard to get back to a level to be able to get the wild card to be back on tour, and I had another year. So that was kind of that was really cool. And just like it's it's like everything when you when you go through the tough times, you learn a lot. So through all that that whole experience of those couple of years was the amount of learning in that just as a person and the appreciation for what I did have was was unbelievable, and I wouldn't change a thing. It looks glamorous from the outside. Is the world to everything you expected? Um, I've got to be honest. Back then, it was it was a lot better than it was now. In just the the just the experience of being around the event, it was a bit more of like a big kind of travelling community circus of surfers, like from <laughs> judges and commentators and photographers and and support crew and the families of the surfers and even the families of the judges, whatever. It was like. It was a big kind of travelling circus, and, it, and the world's a bit different now. It's a bit more of like head down, bum up, and and work, and it probably doesn't have that same feel. And it's, I wouldn't say it was glamorous back then, but it's it's far from glamorous now. It's like the the athletes are going there to to get a job done, and and in saying that, it's not like they're digging holes and in a dirty old job site, and they're like they should be complaining, but they they work for it. They go hard, and, and it's the same as my job. I go away and I work all day every day, and 
every night. You're breaking down clips and you you're chatting with the athletes and you you work twenty four seven and then you come home. So it's like it's not not trying to paint it like it's a it's a tough tough gig, but you definitely do you work for it for sure. When I said it should be a movie, I think the aspect is you fighting back to get back in twenty fifteen and just taking a look at some of the surfers you came up against at the pointy end. So these are the surfers that eliminated you in 2015. We'll start with Kelly Slater, Owen Wright, who you later coach, Adriano de Souza, John John Florence, Joel Parkinson, Gabrielle Medina, and the great B. Durbage from the Gold Coast. What a hit list that is. For sure. No, it's, it's crazy to sit back and think you surfed against those guys and surf. Yeah, when you got to kind of go toe to toe with those people, it's it's pretty special, and and yeah, like those moments and those memories of of those feelings that come with that, and those kind of the lead up, and then the the heat, and then post heat. Just yeah, those that's the the, the best part. It's better than any trophy or better better than any memorabilia. It's just those kind of memories of of kind of being at that level. Through that period, just talk to me about some of those surfers and some of the moments. Like, who put together the perfect heat? Yeah, I, I remember having some heats with like a young Geordie Smith. That was pretty pretty special. He was coming on as like he was doing all the new airs that no one had even seen yet, and then having heats with him. And I guess I was pretty fortunate being the older guy that I was old enough to not be rattled by it and embrace that opportunity to surf against these crew. And then yeah, like serving heats against Kelly Slater, like no matter what the conditions were, he was he was going to be hard to beat. And he's like the greatest of all time. In so many different aspects, it was. Um, but just to be around a, an event site when you're in a heat against him coming up, like just that aura and that kind of. They say he plays mind games, but I think that's just the way he is as a person. That he's kind of a unique character, and he he creates for you to think there's mind games. I, I, that's the way I see it anyway. So it was, yeah, just Kelly, and then probably Gabriel. He was the toughest competitor, but I would say the hardest competitors are the ones I, I thrive on the most. Yeah. I've got Owen Wright's book here, and I've started reading it, loving it, and he said that in the heat of the battle, you're sitting right beside each other, but not a word is spoken, even if it's your best mate. So when he's in the water with Mick Fanning, who actually helped him after his accident in Hawaii, he said you could almost feel Mick breathing on top of you, but you'd never say a word during the heat what about for you yeah for sure i um i think the story i've got on mick is obviously i didn't qualify until i was i was very old <laughs> but all those years before like there was a number of years i was really close to making it and then there was one year at sunset which was the last qs of the year i had to make make this heat to qualify and i was good friends with mick who you know and i traveled the world with him and and we grew up doing the juniors together, so he was like a close friend, and he's already won world titles. He was already doing what he was doing, and it was, it was incredible. So it was like only a couple of years before I actually qualified, but he came up to me in the in the lockers before the heat and said, like, you know, and it was one of the first heats in the morning, and he came up and he was like, all right, like, gave me the pep talk of, like, you've got this, you can do it. And it was like, as a mate, it was incredible. And I had him and I had two other guys. It was a four-man heat, and, like, the other guys were crazy as well. I think it was a quarter final and he came up and gave me the pep talk like he really wanted me to do well and qualify and make this heat and and then we got out there and he just went full turbo mode <laughs> and there was like not a word spoken and like just no no giving me an inch and I I completely loved it I thought like that's what competing is you don't turn up to a spot to try and get a handout and try and people help you out to try and win a heat like that's not what you sign up to compete and that's helped me with my coaching too like I tell that story to the kids that I work with of like you know you don't look at the draw for someone who you might give you a little helping hand here and there and who's easy like just want the hardest people you can get and want the ones that want to go to battle with you and you'll be a better competitive competitor for it and that was that story in that heat with Mick was like before I qualified and like I came in from that feeling like I'd learn all right like that's that's what you got to be. Like, I was already kind of that way myself anyway, but, yeah, when you see that from a good mate and Mick Fanning, you, you learn a lot from that as well. I saw Mick in November, and he wouldn't know me, but uh, we are at Duramba with about 500 other guys trying to <laughs> trying to get some waves. Yeah. And even the 
former world champion, I think three-time world champion, uh, was finding it hard to jag away at D-Bar uh, when it was pumping. But what a legend. What oh. an absolute legend. Hey, you're, you're too humble, but I covered a lot of your stories for NBN News when you were trying to make the tour. And, you know, you used to absolutely rip at sunset. Was that one of your favourite spots? For sure, I think. I, and if you, it definitely was. And if you ask why, I guess it's more so. I don't think the waves even that good. It's just hard. And I, that was to me what I loved the most was when somewhere was hard, some location was hard and the conditions were tricky. I felt like that was in my favour. And I, I know I just somehow told myself that that was part of the battle, and I loved it. So sunset. Even now, when I get back to Hawaii, I surf out there, and it's. I personally don't think it's that good of a wave, but it's just a challenge. It's big and it's rogue, and you feel like you're in the spot and then you're 10 foot on the head it's just there's something about it that's that's just challenging and you eventually get one and you kind of go straight and do a little cutty and kick out so it's like it's not really that rewarding but the challenge of that place is so cool and competing there every year for for all those years I, I just loved it I thought it was it was such a such a battle it was like almost like you felt like you were paddling out to full blown go to go to battle with the ocean yeah and i said to you earlier when we were having coffee that uh you know i used to love watching your backhand as well and you know you were so good there and so is molly actually watching her surf at sunset uh, just a few more questions about your own surfing career before we talk about coaching you said you didn't win much when we were getting the guided tour earlier and looking at memorabilia what are your proudest wins yeah, no, I definitely didn't win a great deal, but I was on the tour for I was on the QS for long enough that I got a couple little wins. But I guess the biggest win was was Polito as a you know in a, the highest rated event, and that's what helped me qualify. And then um, uh, winning the Newcastle event, the MR Pro, that was pretty cool. Just the fact it was you know that's as close as it gets to home, and that was pretty special. But um, I think from a surfing point, the the year I got second at Lowers. Um, to Gabriel, that was, I don't know, that, that to me, like, Lowers is an event and a location where it's, it's, like, really about the surfing, and, uh, for me, that was, like, that had everyone in it, because when there was a comp at Lowers, everyone entered it, because it was such a good wave to, to surf, and it was, like, high profile, and it was, like, sponsored by Nike, it was, like, this big deal, and, and that was right when Gabriel just kind of became... Gabriel, who was unbelievable, and like watching him free surf there was like honestly, I remember thinking I've never seen anything like that in my life. He was doing like four airs a wave, and and yeah, I don't know, maybe that event to me as a from just a surfing point, like getting second and being in the final against him was like, yeah, that was pretty cool. I I didn't didn't win, but it felt like a good event. We uh, we both love rugby league, and yeah, when Cameron Smith played, they'd often say that you've got a coach on the field. For the Melbourne Storm, or with Queensland, or with Australia, yeah, what a superstar, Cameron Smith. Oh, for sure. And then with you, so through your surfing career, particularly in your final year, you're starting to already make that transition. So you start to help Wilco by writing like a dossier on how he can improve his performance. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Wilco was obviously from the coast. He was a good friend. He was um, incredibly talented, and then it was kind of clear to everyone he wasn't maximizing his ability and he was it was there was some easy areas of growth but in saying that there was a lot of people who tried to help him and and in like helping him in the way of like having the conversation and going come on we'll go like there's another year where you you just qualified but you could be doing better so that was kind of my role as as a mate was the I actually delivered this kind of sit down, chat with him where it was like I got him to reflect on himself and just see some areas that he can improve in himself and and find ways that he could analyse himself to, to see the, how easy it could be to be better. And then from there, that was before I was even actually working with him, but from there I actually like, he it kind of inspired him to make the decisions to want to go, all right, I want to, I want to put some effort in. And I, I think there's probably a bit of an element of daunting daunting,ness that he thought, He's the fun character who doesn't put any effort in, really, but he's got to go all the way the other way to be McFanning, and that was kind of where I was trying to explain. You don't have to be that. Just put a little bit of effort in and in a few different areas, and you'll see a huge area of improvement. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of where I delivered that. And then, yeah, we, was, we worked together for a year, and he did really well, and, yeah, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> wore, wore the yellow jersey for a while and 
talk about great backhands, yeah. Matt, Matty Wilco, and living up in Byron now. Yep, yeah, he's up that way doing some. Um, he's got a, a restaurant and a property and doing some surf coaching. And yeah, he's a legend. He's such a good dude. And he, um, yeah, his backhand, I think, was probably it was so good that they got so used to seeing it, it almost got underscored towards the end. And that's kind of naturally what happens. I'm not blame the judges, but it's like when I watch back some of his surfing now, I'm like, it's mind blowing that we became numb to such good surfing. Yeah, and we came through the period too with. Mark Ocalupo, yeah, you know, the best backhand at Bells I think we've ever seen. 100% for sure. I think Ocky's still in his own way, the benchmark backhand surfing. So Ocky in his prime is still kind of the reference point for everyone on the backhand. Hey, Micro, we're getting drilled by the sun out here. Do you yeah. need any water or do you need some sunnies? Or oh, I've, had, um, I've had two pterygiums <laughs> cut out of my eyeball, so I can't see a thing. I might get my sunnies. Yeah, sounds good. We'll <laughs> take sex. a take a short break. Olha que coisa mais linda, mais cheia de graça. Ela menina que vem e que passa num doce balanço caminho do mar. Moça do corpo dourado do sol de Panema. O seu balançado é mais que um poema. É a coisa mais linda que eu já vi passar. One of my favourite tracks, The Very Smooth Girl from Ipanema. Micro's back with his sunnies on. And, Micro, let's continue. So you write a dossier or document for Matty Wilco in your final year on tour. Is it around that time that you connect with Tyler Wright? Yeah, yeah. So I um, it was the following year when I was going to work with Owen. Then Owen had his injury and then kind of Tyler saw there was a spot on the, on the team to to reach out and at the time she kind of needed that guidance of a coach and, and someone just to kind of, she had an approach where she wasn't super open-minded and then she decided, all right, I want to learn and I want to be open to, to hearing just a new way of going about things. So that was cool and I had that opportunity and did some work with her for a couple of years, which was really cool and it obviously gave me the opportunity to learn a lot from her too, being a such an incredible athlete that... Learning from her was really cool. She she was a whole new, from my end, a whole new project, a different person to, to Wilco and really gave me the opportunity to kind of learn my skills as a coach as well. Yeah, talk more about Tyler. What were your initial thoughts for her to go to that next level? Because she's an absolute powerhouse in the water, isn't she? Oh, for sure. She's an incredible athlete and, and um, an incredible person. So she, she was amazing and... and yeah, she was a, a bit of an untapped source of, like, her surfing was unbelievable. I was just kind of learning a little bit more about competing and, and just giving her some some guidance around that. Like, she was already an amazing surfer, an amazing competitor, and it was just a few kind of details in the competing part that she kind of wasn't completely on the ball with, and, that, and that's all it was. And then once that opened up and her confidence grew and her, you know, and just the person she is, she was, she was hard to hold back. She was amazing. So she, yeah, she had obviously... Got two world titles, but won a stack of events, and she's just, yeah, she's incredible. My brother passed on the Owen Wright book uh, last time I caught up with him, and it is brilliant. Mick Fanning's written here, the all-time sporting comeback. Owen Wright, a surfing champion's inspirational journey to Olympic glory. Now, he talks about you at length, but I'll just read here because you're so humble. Uh, Micro was more than just a technician and astute strategist, a good talker, a better listener. Micro wanted to know his athletes as people and help them thrive out of the surf as well as in it. Anytime I was in his company, it was written on his face that he cared about me. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, Owen's a, he's a special human. He really is. And, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I read his book and, and yeah, he said some really nice things in there, but it's um, yeah, it's if you're gonna get if you're gonna have a read, I, I highly recommend the book. Just overall, his story is is unbelievable. Just he's really open too about his journey from when he was a kid, the whole family dynamic, and um, and then on to his injury and his recovery, and then on to his comeback through the events and then um, the Olympics too. So he's he's got a story that's definitely worth a read for sure. And, and I was I was very fortunate to be a part of his comeback and there's there's a lot of other details in that journey that's that's incredible. Maybe there'll be another book one day. <laughs> yeah, and just stay on your feet. That became the mantra. If if you're gonna make a movie, Snapper twenty seventeen is epic. For sure, hundred percent. That that experience of working with someone who was like 
virtually a ghost of, the, of who they are and they're surfing in a world tour event at Perfect Snapper Rocks and he doesn't even know if he's going to make it to the to the comp site for his quarter final. I was texting his wife saying, or is, is he going to make it? And she was saying, I don't know. I said, well, I'll be there either way. And he turned up and he's like, he was dead set like a walking ghost. And as a coach, you've got the job of figuring out how to help him at least paddle out, put his jersey on and then help him think through his health and is it the right thing to do? And then if he's going to go out, how does he give himself the best crack of staying healthy and, and putting in an effort that he can be proud of and and really simple formula to try and help him do well. And it was it was some of his best surfing, to be honest. It was amazing. Yeah. Talk about a great backhand as well. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, he comes up against Mick along the way and then suddenly he's against Wilco. So two micro surf academy surfers in the final. I mean, that's... And it's your first year of being a pro coach, is that correct? Yeah, for sure. That was um, that was a bit of a head-scratching moment when I'm sitting in the lockers <laughs> and I've got the two guys in the final and, and Tyler had just done really well as well in the, in the women's. So it was um, uh, that was the first event of the year. So that was a, a good start of that year. And, um, yeah, but when Wilco and Owen are, are up against each other, Owen's, like, obviously... 10% of, 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 him real, of his real self. And then Owen, I mean, Wilco's on this wild transition of becoming, you know, in closer to world number one than the back end of the ratings. It's, it, was a, it was a pretty interesting moment to be a coach of the two of them. Do you feel blessed that suddenly, you know, you've got a two-time world champion in Tyler, Owen comes into the stable, you've still got Wilco, and then, you know, now you've got to pinch yourself, you've got Molly Picklin. For sure, I'm I'm so fortunate, and um, yeah, like obviously getting the opportunities, you can't just kind of you can't buy those, and you can't just put your hand up and say, oh, I'll coach you. Like it's you've got to get given that opportunity, and um, I'm so fortunate that Wilco and Tyler and Owen and and all these people gave me the opportunity to to be in their corner, and then it's like anything, and then it's up to you to do a good job of it and and make that partnership a, a healthy and and prosperous one that you know and you're both stoked with so yeah for me I was, I was very fortunate to get those opportunities and then with molly now on the coast it's even even more fortunate again because we can do even more work because we live near each other and we kind of we get along really well and she's a she's an incredible young athlete so i'm, I'm very fortunate you've got to be well you've got to wear a lot of hats so you're part-time psychologist <laughs> uh slash therapist uh nutritionist what else? Uh, maybe a big brother or a parent at times. Totally, yeah. You, you're every every one of those those roles, and um and a lot more. It's like you know, and you you think day to day with with say Molly, like she's she's just a 21 year old kid who's who's off living a life and trying to be a a world champion and an Olympic gold medalist. But she's also just a, a young kid figuring out life and trying to find the balance of, of work and and play and, and um, learning the life skills and you kind of end up wearing all those hats and, yeah, for, for a, in a 24-hour window you wear 20 different hats and then you also go, like, let's go, you've you got to switch off. So then you end up being the, the tennis partner or the golf partner and pickleball and you kind of like, so you eventually 24-7 you're on the job and it's like, it's awesome. But, yeah, seeing a, a like a Molly, 21, and like just... Being able to be in that position to help them learn so many life skills and, and share your your learnings over the years, it's it's pretty cool. She's got an opportunity right now to set herself up for life because of how marketable she is. You know, you look at uh, some of the young ladies on social media and they've got hundreds of thousands of followers and that's such a great platform for anything you want to do in the future. For sure. There's a, it's a different world now with social media and the, the marketability with, with followers on Instagram and TikTok and whatever it is, so it's it's definitely for Molly. She's in an incredible position, but it's it's also because of who she is. Like her surfing results are incredible, but the way she carries herself, she's a she's a type of young girl that people want to get behind and want to be proud to associate with because she's inspiring to the other young women and and young men and and just a positive role model. So that's that's kind of well deserved. You probably don't want to say too much about the Olympics, but she's going to a venue where she's going to be incredibly hard to beat if she's at her best. For sure. She's, in my eyes, like, as like I said to you earlier, she's um, 
not everyone would be completely psyched that it's a chopu and it could be 10 foot and she's one of the few that would definitely in the women's draw that are going like bring it on like, I don't care what size it is let's do this so she's um she's ready to roll and she's got the skills to to take on those conditions so um yeah she's she's ready to go and it's gonna be fun to watch micro we're on a time limit so i think we might be getting the wind up soon so i'll fire <laughs> a few more at no you worries, all good. really quickly sweet uh, when I caught up with you a few years ago for MBN TV, you said that you love to study other coaches from codes around the world. Talk to us about who you love and why. Yeah, it's, I guess any coach, good or bad, there's something to learn in what they do and what works and what doesn't and their approach. And I just love connecting with other coaches in any way, like even school teachers and just, I don't know, anything where you're kind of in a position to help someone, I, I feel like there's a learning in that. And I... I went and got a tennis lesson last year just to experience what it's like to be the amateur on the other side who's trying to, you know, the coach has got to deliver a message and how does that come across and it was really fun. It was a whole experience that I'm going to do more of it in any sport just to to feel like what it's like to be the the one on the other side of the fence and and trying to listen and learn and what was delivered well and what wasn't and what was, um, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, as a coach, it's your job to give messages that are, that are easy to understand and easy to implement, and that's that's kind of where I want to be better at. How big is visualisation? For some people it's massive and some not so much, but I think subconsciously, whether you talk about it or not, I think everyone does a bit of visualising of like you know, in being on the podium to doing a certain turn to... I feel like we all, you know, visualise or daydream or whatever you want to call it of, of certain things you want to do and even at our age, you're like, I visualise hitting a good backhand in the line one day. And <laughs> but just that's kind of what you do as in, like, you know, in motivating. Even if you visualise what you want to cook for dinner, you're like, oh, well, that, that, that first inspiring thought is, in my eyes, it's a form of visualisation. Well, one thing I love about you, and I heard this on a podcast last night, and it's the fact that even when you were competing, you were trying to work out how someone with your talent could defeat someone who was supremely talented? For sure. I guess that's, as an athlete, that's what you should be doing no matter what level you are. If if you're the best athlete in the world at what you do and then you can also figure out how to be, bottle the best version of you, then you're probably going to be unbeatable. And if you're, whatever you are on the rankings or in the scale of, of that sport or that field, that if you can bottle up the best version of version of you and you're, best way that you could perform the best or compete the best or give yourself the best opportunity to win that's kind of that's your ultimate goal as a competitor to figure that out and I think some people find that harder and and a bit more blurry to to find out what works and I guess that's just the process of some people kind of navigate those thoughts and those learnings differently and for me it was like yeah I, I feel like that was probably my best point of surfing my surfing skills weren't my strength it was just finding the best way for me to win a certain heat and using, like, positioning and tactics. And and that's all, all I guess, in the mindset of, like, being willing to step up and, and know that you are against Gabriel or John John or Kelly Slater or whoever it is, and, and that's not daunting. That's a fun challenge. Yeah, and that's what attracted a lot of surfers to Micro Surf Academy. Hey, you've spoken a lot about tennis in this interview. So you're a Djokovic, Federer... Or Nadal fan? Federer, for sure. <laughs> I love him. He's, he's the boss. He's just so cool and calm and and obviously all those guys are amazing. But for me, it's just, yeah, just the way he kind of approaches it. And then when I, I learned that when he was young, he used to spit the dummy and carry on worse than anyone. And then the fact he, he kind of figured that out to then compete as the most kind of cool, calm and collected competitor on the court I feel like that's that's pretty inspiring with surfing you said you could sit and watch heats all day long and break them down analyze them where do you feel like surfing's heading in the next decade because already we've seen it just go beyond our wildest expectations for sure I think um on the women's side progressive surfing and and barrel riding is is the the two key elements of of growth in the in the women's sport and then for men's I think it's like it's probably Combining those two, the events are run in kind of bigger and heavier conditions these days and incorporating high-performance surfing into that. Like, I feel like, you know, as an example, 10 years ago or five years ago, there was 
Air reverses going down everywhere, but now it's air reverses on eight foot waves, and I feel like that's kind of the trajectory of, of men's surfing, and then women's is on the same path. But I feel like they're just kind of introducing the airs into the game, and then also just those bigger barrel riding. But the women's surfing is progressing so fast; it's so cool to watch. It's amazing. We've mentioned about Molly. We mentioned about uh, Rio earlier in the interview. Who else is part of the micro stable? Yeah, I'm going to be working with Lakey Peterson again this year too. She um she had a great year last year with the win at J Bay and and um she's a she's a pretty cool character. She's been on the tour for a while now and she's she's more on the mature side of knowing what she wants and and how she operates and um it was cool to tap into a few kind of areas of of her surfing and her competitor skills that she kind of hadn't kind of unlocked yet. So that's been really fun and she's a, she's an epic human. Tell us more about how that relationship works. Yeah, at events, we're together and obviously I travel to the events with her and we, we work together at the events. But also, she's in America and I'm here. We do a lot of communicating online and, and talk about you know, planning and processing for the events coming up and watch some video clips of her on the new boards and, and do some equipment work. And, and also, I connected her with um, Luke Sullivan from Teams Challenge Australia for some breath work. So they've been working online too. So, it's um, yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of... A lot of Australians in her corner. I really love breath work and I've done some myself. I find it therapeutic, but in your situation, it's for surfers to really calm themselves in those stressful moments. Yeah, exactly. It's just about trying to calm yourself and use your breathing to calm down and slow your heart rate. And it's kind of pretty simple formulas, but super effective. And it's, it actually is effective for everyone from kids to, to businessmen. So it's, um, yeah, the fact that the athletes are using it, it's pretty cool. Mike Rowe, any bold predictions for the year ahead? Um, I reckon Molly's going to win the world title. That's my prediction. She's, um, she's in a good place. And, and at the Olympics, she's going to be right there at the top because she, she loves that wave and she's ready to go. Technically, can you explain what you're working on with Molly? I think Chopu, where the Olympics is going to be held, is a left-hand barrel over shallow reef. So being comfortable over reef is one thing. And then also just the, the technique of... She's only going left because the, the wave only goes left and then um, it's pretty much a barrel. So the, the technical elements of riding a left-hand tube and, um, and being comfortable doing so, that's, that's basically, the in a nutshell, the work for Molly this year. Who's part of the micro posse? Like, who do you absolutely love? Yeah, I guess I'm a pretty, pretty simple dude. I, I don't do a lot. I, um, I love sport. I love hanging with the kids. I take them surfing every moment I can get and... Um, so yeah, between I mean, besides my family, like Chris Hyington, I've been good mates with him forever, and and we we really enjoy our conversations around sport and coaching. He's in a role now with the Tigers, and obviously played forever. So I've always valued our friendship, but also just our conversations of like just ways to be better and 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 help other people be better in their sport. And then um, uh, Luke Sullivan at TCA has been really good with the athletes this year. He's been amazing as far as like a, a business. I couldn't recommend his breathing stuff enough to to anyone, kids or kids or adults or athletes or businessmen. I just feel like it's that's a bit of an untapped area of a resource that everyone is, you know, everyone can do it. There's not there's no limits on your body or there's no um there's an investment that you can learn that you can value forever. And I think that's been really cool. And then yeah, just like friends around home. There's Ace Buckins, one of my closest mates, and then. Still a bunch of mates from your minor that I catch up with, but it's um yeah I keep it keep it pretty simple really. Could you say a few words about Ace? I guess he's got his finger in a lot of pies because he's so talented. Just a superb career, including a couple of massive wins, a few of them against Kelly Slater. For sure, Ace is like he's like the ultimate human to be honest. He's he's so so thoughtful and caring in everything he does, like as a as a dad or a you know in a his role in in business and the crew that he's working for now or working with he's he's such a such a gentleman and I feel like his value when he was on tour as a surfer was amazing but it's even more so now because like it's hard to come across people that are so intelligent and so thorough in what they do and and thoughtful and 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 honest like he's 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 almost like you know I mean if you could just write up a human <laughs> he's he's who you want to inspire to be and it's um yeah, he's, he's one of my best mates, so I'm pretty lucky. I learned a lot from him. He's the prototype. <laughs> he is. He's the blueprint of, of a dad. Yeah, yeah. And last time we caught up, now I really love this, you had a, a new little tattoo and you were supporting the Chumpy Pullen Foundation, so one of our great Olympians 
who sadly passed away. Yeah, so there's a foundation um, for Chumpy Pullen who's, yeah, the, the foundation's amazing and doing some incredible things and, and more so in snow sports, but they're just a foundation to help help kids and it, it's amazing what they're doing and um, it's run by a, a couple of my closest friends. So I got the tattoo, it's a, obviously it, it started off as a giant artwork and then it was cut into puzzle pieces and then had ambassadors all around the world get pieces of that puzzle tattooed on them wherever they wanted and, and um yeah I was fortunate enough to be one of those crew and it just opens up the conversation and a lot of it's about mental health and suicide and it's um so it's pretty close to my heart because you know obviously we we're all touched in some way by suicide and I've had a couple of co- uh, friends and my friend's father and just like it's just obviously a topic now that we all need to be a bit more open to talk about Gee, it's been awesome coming to your home as opposed to doing a podcast over the phone. I've really loved spending some time with you and the family here this morning. Uh, the podcast brought to you by Robson Civil Projects. You'd love them, Micro, like a legendary local business that's been around for over 60 years. That's amazing. No, I'm, I'm glad they're supporting you doing what you're doing because you're, you're the same. You've been doing covering sport on the coast forever and it's, yeah, it's cool. Like, yeah, you, we were doing interviews together when I was on the early days of the QS, so it's, the coast is a pretty special place. Great to see you, mate, and thanks you for too. being the very first guest on The Perfect Ten in 2024. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. That is Glenn Micro Hall, and you heard it here first, Molly Picklum to win the world title in 2024. And as Micro says, very hard to beat at the Olympic Games being held at Chopu later on this year. Once again, thanks to Robson Civil Projects. Check out their careers page if you're looking for a new start somewhere in 2024. And don't forget, you'll be joining a family business that's been around for over 60 years. Started here on the Central Coast, now in Sydney, Newcastle, right through the Hunter. Mudgy and Dubbo as well. And I feel really humbled that they're the naming rights partner for the Perfect Ten. Coming up next, we catch up with Mark McVeigh, who played over 200 games for the Bombers and since then has coached GWS Giants as a senior head coach. And now he's at the Sydney Swans, guiding the next generation of AFL players. I caught up with Mark at a function just before Christmas, and I've got to say, he absolutely stole the show. He was so good on stage and I can't wait to spend some time with him in the Perfect Ten Studios. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Glenn Micro Hall, and we'll catch you soon on the Perfect Ten.